evening and all. Let's pray together. Lord our God, you are far above what we can imagine. You are majestic, you are mighty, you are holy. And so we want to come into your presence cautious but yet bold through Christ. Lord, help us to hear what you have to say to us tonight. We remember that you're the God who created all things, the heaven, the earth, and all this in them. And Lord, we need you tonight to give us a, a glimpse of you as you are in your glory through Christ. We thank you that uh, in him uh, we, can, we can have boldness. In him we can have forgiveness. And him we have uh, life everlasting. Please, Lord, we, we beg you, come amongst us now. Uh, speak to us, deal with us, and change us, for Christ's sake. Amen. So I want to start with the last question of the chapter we just uh, read together. Is the Lord among us or not? It's a question of uh, unbelief. Effectively saying, uh, can he save us or not? It's a question of, of not trusting God's promises not trusting his provision for Christ's people for his for God's people uh, Jesus Christ is all things to them he is this fountain that's opened um, that we can come and we can drink and be satisfied we find forgiveness we find life and all things and yet are we tonight still asking the same question of verse 7 there is the Lord among us or not can he save us or not? Gadsby has got this hymn. So it goes like this. For every poor mourner who thirsts for the Lord, a fountain is opened in Jesus the word. Their poor past conscience to cool and to wash from guilt and pollution, from dead works and dross. So Christ is precious to his people. He's, he's everything to them. And the question is tonight for us is, is he everything to us? Do we see him as this fountain that we can come to and, and just enjoy his fullness? Uh, Jesus asked the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were always getting it wrong when they asked them, what do you think of the Christ? That's the all-important question. It's the all-important question for us uh, tonight. What do you think of the Christ? Uh, and the Pharisees, of course, we, we know they got it wrong all the time. They were undermining Christ. They didn't see him as he was. He, they just dis, discarded, disregarded him completely. Uh, he asked them that question, what do, you think of the, what do you think of the Christ? And they say, uh, the son of David. That's all, just, just a man, nothing more. And, and Jesus corrects him and says, well, how is it that uh, David in the spirit calls him Lord then? We need to see him as, as our everything, if he's going to be anything. This is uh, the stone that the builders, yes, that the Pharisees rejected, has actually uh, become the cornerstone. It's so important that we, that we need to see him as he is, receive him into our hearts and rejoice in him. Uh, his disciples get it right. Uh, Jesus asks uh, his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Peter says that because God opened his eyes to see it to see him God needs to do the same uh, for us uh, so are we asking that question 
Are we considering uh, for ourselves? Uh, or are we asking, is the Lord among us or not? Uh, Luther said, the sweetness of the gospel lies mostly in personal pronouns. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's nothing if, if we can't say that. If Christ isn't our Christ, if Christ isn't that fountain for us that we come to and drink, drink from and find life in. Or, or like Thomas, he said, my Lord and my God. So is Christ your Christ? That's the question. Well, that's where we start. We start with those uh, Israelites at the beginning uh, actually question: is the Lord among us or not? Can God actually save? Well, what is Christ for you? The unbeliever, the, the world, like the Pharisee, is always stumbling at the simplicity of the gospel. And, and I just want to, to just be so careful uh, in what I'm saying. We need to be so careful that uh, we see Christ as he is and we don't stumble at the simplicity of the gospel uh, because Christ says it like this, uh, the, this kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. It's, it's the hidden work of God in the heart. Uh, it, it, I've heard someone say the gospel, the, the, the church is the biggest thing on earth. It's growing and, and yet it's hidden. Are we stumbling at the simplicity, almost the smallness? Because Christ says, uh, blessed are the poor, blessed are the lame, blessed are the blind, those who come to him for all, like little children. See, the world, the Pharisees always asking, is the Lord among us or not? Uh, whereas the Christian sees God, sees the simplicity of the gospel, sees what God has done and believes. So the Christian sees that pearl and it means everything to him or to her. He's, he, he's selling everything just to have that pearl. He's seen the shepherd and he's following. He's found the rock, he's building on it. He's found the fountain and he's drinking from it. He's seen the lamb of God. John the Baptist, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we, when we go over to uh, Revelation, we see a massive contrast between chapter 13 and 14. Uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, you see this beast. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. I saw a beast rising up of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head a blasphemous name. This is the world, this is the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness. And what does God send to face this beast? Does he send an equivalent beast, a monster? No, he sends a lamb. Then I looked and behold a lamb, or in the Greek it's a little lamb, standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. God sends a lamb. It's a mustard seed. We mustn't stumble at the simplicity of the gospel. Christ must be all to us, and he offers us uh, tonight this salvation, this free salvation. So, have we trusted in Christ? Or are we like the Jews there, the Israelites, uh, testing Christ? Jonathan Edwards said, believers 
do not first see that God loves them and then see that he is lovely, but they first see that God is lovely and that Christ is excellent and glorious and their hearts are captivated with this view. See, the Israelites were only happy when things were going all right for them. When they had water, when they had uh, uh, food, they complained and they didn't want to go back to Egypt a lot of the time. They're complaining against Moses, but they're actually, as was made clear in the reading, they're complaining against God. They're asking the question and again and again, is the Lord amongst us or not? Well, is this you? Are we asking, is the Lord among us or not? Or like Paul, do we know in whom we have believed? So we're going to look at, look at a couple of things. We're going to concentrate on uh, verse 5 and 6. I'll read them again. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb. You shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And we're going to be looking at two things. We're going to be considering, have we trusted in the promise of God, the promises of God based in, in, in who he is? And secondly, have we trusted in God's provision? So God's promise and God's provision. We see here, it's important for us to take in the context. What's God doing here? Well, he's, he's sovereign in his people's uh, condition he's led them away to a place Rephidim there is no water this sovereign God he knows what he's doing he's brought them to test them to see if they'll put their trust in him if if they will believe him for water they have after all seen him bring bring them through uh, the Red Sea will they now believe that he can provide water he's at Horeb well what's happened in Horeb we go back to chapter 3 Horeb is a place where God promised Moses he was going to deliver his people it's not an insignificant place God is bringing Moses and the elders of Israel here to remind them of something he's done in the past we do well to remember what God has done in our lives to have confidence to have faith to go on in the future but he's reminding them at Horeb he's reminding them of the promise he made and how he's fulfilled that promise. He doesn't, he's not a God who promises and that can, then can't do. He promises and what he promises he's able to do and he's able to provide. But before we uh, look at Exodus 3, just want to ask us there now, is the bare promise of God to save you if you come to him through Christ enough? Has he taught our hearts to depend on his grace? Has he depend, are we depending upon his promises? He's bringing them here to uh, Horeb. Moses has got the same staff that he used to part the Red Sea. God is saying, this is what I've done. This is what happened at Horeb. If, if, if we turn to Exodus 3, verse 7 and 8, we're looking at whether we've trusted the promise of God. And in, verse, and in Exodus 3, you see the promise of God to deliver his people. Verse 7 and 8. 
And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. He's going to do it, he's saying. He's sending Moses to get these people out of the land of Egypt and out of the hands of their oppressors and to be saved, to be a people for himself. This is all happening Horeb for a very specific, for, for, for a very definite uh, reason. God is showing that he is trustworthy. We are to trust his promises based on who he is. And God here in Exodus 3 is saying, I'm merciful. He's reminding them of Horeb later. He's saying, I'm merciful. I'm merciful because this is what I've done. We see in verse 7 there, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in, in Egypt. How much more has he done for us today? God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sees the affliction of his people from eternity past and he doesn't just stay there and, and do nothing. He, he, he loves them. And he sends Christ to die for them before we did anything right or wrong. God sees his people's need and he saves them from their oppression. He sees their oppression. God is merciful. Have we trusted the promise of God that he's merciful? Secondly, Verse 8, Exodus 3. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I have, I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land. God condescends to save his people. God is not just merciful. He condescends. He's, his mercy is on the move to save his people. There's no other way of salvation other than God coming down and having mercy upon us. And that's exactly what he does in Christ, isn't it? When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. As sons there because it was the son that would get the inheritance. He's loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son into the world. He condescends to save us. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Is that our confidence? Are we realizing what God has done in Christ for us? We're not just talking about a deliverance from Egypt. We're talking about what he's done, what's, what it's cost him to save us. He's so merciful that he thought upon us before we had any excuse, before, before we did anything, before we realized even our peril. And God was merciful. God condescended then to save through Christ coming in the flesh. And thirdly, God saves to the uttermost. He says, to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, 
Remember, he's bringing them to horror because Moses would have been able to tell him, this is what God said to me here at this very place. Remember what he's done for you. He said he was going to do it, and he's done it. A Christian can say a crisis, the end of faith, as its beginning, Alpha and Omega. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So we just, from this passage in Exodus 3, we just get the whole scheme of, of salvation. You have God planning, God condescending, and God fulfilling. And here they are, he's fulfilled it. He's at, they are at Horeb. He promised he was going to do it. This is the God that we need to trust. If we say that we've come to him, if we know that he is ours, we know the Christian knows that on the cross it is finished and he believes it. He believes that God has done all. God showed the Israelites and God shows us that he can save to the uttermost. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And it's all by looking to him, believing what he said, believing his promise, and resting in who he is. Look to me and be saved, is what he says. That's what we do the first time we come in our sin and our burden. We look to Jesus to do all. And as we go on, we seek him more joy, more satisfaction, and we seek him more sanctification. It's the same thing, looking to Jesus to do all. Is that how we know him? Do we know him as this merciful God who condescends down, who can save us to the uttermost? The yea and amen of his people? Or are we looking elsewhere? It's a very subtle thing, you know, self-righteousness. It's when we think that we need to bring something to God or that we can bring something to God. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot keep saving ourselves. We come to Christ and we keep coming to Christ in the same way. God shows himself to these Israelites. He shows himself to us this night through his promises to compel us to trust what he will do. The Israelites didn't trust him. They were asking, is the Lord among us or not? Today is the day of salvation. We have to remember that uh, God has led us here tonight. It's not a coincidence. It's God's care for us so far. Everything above ground is the grace of God, isn't it? We've got another opportunity to look upon him, to trust him, to believe his promises because of who he is. He doesn't leave us 1% to do ourselves. So have we trusted in the promise of God? Do we keep looking to him? He's brought us this far. Have we trusted him? Have we come that first time? And are we keep coming back to him in the same way? The second point is, have we trusted in God's provision? 
Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. This is what struck me here. This is not talking about Moses primarily. It's talking about the striking of Christ on the, on the cross to let his people drink. It's all about Jesus. It's, it's not about us. It's not about our strength. It's not about our faith. It's about Jesus. The fact is that he on the cross took our, our sin. He was smitten of God that we might drink. I came to realize a long time ago by the grace of God that there is no, there are no strong men of faith, just weak children who need help. I will stand you, I will stand before you there on the rock. It's referring to, to Christ, Paul says in Corinthians chapter 10, all drank the same spiritual drink but they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ have we come to him have we drank of Christ it pleased the Lord to bruise him the Israelites didn't trust God to provide though he delivered them again and again are we like that Today is the day of salvation. Again, are we still outside waiting? If we come that first time, are we expecting that we can do it for ourselves? Are we actually trusting ourselves? We mustn't trust in our faith. We mustn't trust in our joy. We have to come again, knock, and it shall be opened to you. You see this in, in, in Abraham. Faith demonstrated. Remember what he said to Isaac? Isaac asked him, well, I see, I see the fire, I see the wood. Where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide. It actually says, God will look. In the Hebrew, it says, God will look to the lamb for the burnt offering. I think that's amazing. God looks to what Christ has done and is satisfied. God looks to it. It's not us doing. It's not when we. It's not through our faith. It's not through how joyful we feel. It's God looking upon Christ and saying, "Amen. I'll accept that. I'm well pleased in Him." That is rest. That is faith. That is uh, a drink for the thirsty soul. That's why it says that He's the ju He's just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God says, strike the rock. Tells Moses, strike the rock and the water will come out of it that the people may drink. God has in Christ provided for his people in every way that they need. On the mountain of, of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide, we sing. But actually, more correctly, it's this fountain. It's one fountain. It's Jesus Christ. We can't go anywhere else. We mustn't go anywhere else. It's as simple as this. 
are you thirsting? If we trust in God's provision, what he's done in Christ, we, we won't look anywhere else. Jesus said on the last day of this feast, he gets up and he's, he stands and, and cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So are we thirsting for forgiveness? Are we thirsting for redemption? Are we thirsting uh, to be righteous, more righteous, more like Jesus? Well, it's, it's all in Christ we come again and again. So we don't need to that feel worse for our sin. We don't need to produce love in our heart because one thing is needful. We come and drink because he's promised. He's opened a fountain for us. The human, uh, the carnal mind always wants to mix uh, works, uh, mix itself in with it. God says very clearly, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We must stop thinking about God the way we did think about him. We have to think about, uh, about him the way he says in the Bible to think about him. Forsake our thoughts. Stop asking, is the Lord among us or not? We trust his word, we trust his promise, and we trust his provision in Christ he provides all our need for time and eternity if you tarry till you're better you will never come at all if we've uh, come before we need to come back again we have to remember that that fountain was open not for us just to come once and drink but for us to come and never leave. The most grace-filled and joyful Christian is the one who is most needy and cannot do anything for himself but looks to the provision of God. It's a book uh, by William Patton. And he describes Spurgeon here. Spurgeon says that the way he gets assurance is by coming to God afresh each day as a poor sinner and taking Christ afresh as his saviour. He is afraid that if he had to get it by looking alone at his faith and at his fruits, he might often think he was not a Christian at all. Again, Pressing upon us the fact that Christ is all things to his people. God promised, and what he promised, he's provided in Christ. Christ is that uh, treasure chest that we come to. He is the lock, he's the key. Or we come and, and take as much as we need. If you're thirsty, come. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So notice there, it's not talking about the past. It's not talking about, uh, yeah, come once and then you've, you're sorted. No, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. This is where we are to find shelter and delight. 
all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. We mustn't ask, is the Lord among us? We trust him. We come to him, believe in his promise. All who are thirsty, we trust his, his provision in Christ. That we can drink of this rock that was struck and find life. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, would you forgive us when we stray from who you are? Lord, when we look to self to do anything, when we look to our faith, when we look to our repentance, when we look to our emotion, Lord God, we believe that you are merciful. You show us to be merciful. We believe that in Christ you condescended and you set him forth as the Alpha and Omega of your people. Lord our God, would you bring us back to the simplicity of the gospel? Would you help us to believe that you have an all that we can come just as parched, thirsty sinners and find peace for our souls? Lord, help us to, to take and an, an marvel at what you've done in the past. Let us not be like those Israelites, asking, is the Lord among us or not? Lord, help us come to Christ and see him and be caught up in him. May we feed from that rock this week. May we come back and back again, even stay near to him always. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you satisfy all our needs for time and eternity. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.